1: Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret, never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And this week it's a real honour to be joined by the legend that is Kenny Wheeler a man who has been a key part of the Weller team for over 40 years now. Dating back to the jam, he was first credited on album sleeve notes for the sound effects LP with the words special thanks to Ken for playing Paul. Kenny has been a constant on the road through that band to the Star Council and to Weller solo, working as tour manager for decades now and with his son Bill Wheeler also working in a similar guise now too. And Kenny has never been interviewed by anyone before, so it's a real honour to be able to feature his stories on this podcast series. This episode of the podcast is also a first record recording face-to-face, in real life, in the same room, stepping away from a computer screen. So we're in for a real treat. Let's get into it. Kenny Wheeler, thanks for joining me. Welcome. Welcome. It's good to be here. Good to be here in your own home. (laughs) 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 We've traveled all the way to Mersey for this one, because this Mm -hmm. is going to be really special, because I don't think you've ever been interviewed or anybody's ever asked you questions properly about this, have they?
0: I I never do it. I never do it. I work for Paul, you It's also my mate, you know, so it's not about me.
1: Yeah. I've been warned, actually, that I'm going to need a swear button. Is that true?
0: You might do. (laughs) Quite possible. possible.
1: Well, it's on standby. (laughs) Now, before we kick into this, I'd love to know about your career before the jam, because presumably this didn't all start with the Weller family and the jam.
0: No, getting in this business all started by accident. I'm a joiner by trade. I've done my apprenticeship, which the time I come from, you could walk anywhere and get a job. And I got a job as an apprentice joiner. So that's what I was doing. And I finished my apprenticeship, got my sitting gills and everything like that. And then I went to work on the building site, which I hated. I don't like sites. I don't like dirty, muddy places. And we'd finished one day and I went in the pub. And we was in there about half past 10 in the morning. And a friend of mine come in and he, the guy's name was Nudger. And he said, what are you doing here now? So I said, well, we've been rained off, you know. He said, what are you going to do today then? I don't know. He said, well, come with me. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to a place called Manticore in London and do some rehearsals. Who with? He said, well, I don't know yet until I get up there. And that was it. Got in a truck, went up there, and we went in and got this gear in there. He set it up, do this, do that, and the band come in. It was Badfinger. Oh, wow. What? <laughs> and done five days rehearsal with them, and that was it. They were going off to the States after that. That's really how I got involved in it, That's and mad. That's I loved mad. it, you know. Yeah. Didn't go to work all that week and I just went with Nudge every day. It was just starting from then, you know, it's like a bug. The guy who run the company RSD, he said to me, "I understand you can make cabinets." And I said, "Well, I can make anything you like." And he said, "Could you build a folded horn?" And I said, "Well, I don't even know what folded horn is." And he said, "Well, if you can make one for us," he said, "I've got plans, I had a little bit of machinery, and I made this cabinet, and it worked." And he sent it off to his cabinet maker, and they started making these cabinets, and that's basically how I started. Right. And we've been about, I suppose, we've been about two or three months i was on two with the kinks that's insane and that's how it started <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> and i got bit by the bug you know right. and that was it my dad thought i was mad because our family i'd done my apprenticeship none of the others had done elder brothers elder sister and a younger brother and i was earning good money on the on the building like you know i just started earning decent money and here i'm working away from little PA company
1: and giving up a trade must have been, yeah, from your, your family's point of view, they must have been, what are you uh,
0: doing? Well, yeah, it's, it's a bit, you know, especially my dad. My mum, my mum weren't too bad, but like my dad was, he did think I was crazy, but it was that type of thing they used to tell you at school. I mean, I weren't academic. If you learn a trade, you can do whatever you like, then you've got a trade behind you. And that's what I've done. And, and that's what I've done ever since. I mean, this love of touring, because that was primarily the role going on tour with these bands. It's different every day. Every day is different. I suppose it's also the element thing about traveling as well. It's hard to explain the the way I got into it. I know other people do it for other reasons, but I know why I started doing it. I just like that freedom. I know you're you're working to a schedule, but you're basically on your own. You get from A to B. You do what you got to do. And when I started touring, it was to have a three-ton or a five-ton truck full of gear was like touring equipment. If it was a big tour, they would have three trucks. One for backline, one for PA, and one for lights. But the days of Artics hadn't really started then. I would say it was like the Wild West, and we could do anything from like I suppose the two level I was on were like ABC theatres and things like that. We never done loads of clubs. It was that middle sort like selection. You know, we done. We had bands like Kinks, Argent, Wizard, all sorts of bands on that level. We done things with Curved Air, and we did do stuff for Genesis built them equipment wow but this was a guy called Paul Dobson who owned the company you know, and you just went in and done what you had to do and it was fun and the jam connection so how did that come about I'm in right, thinking you were poached from another band I'd come back from the States on a tour with the Kinks and a friend of mine turned up and he said I've just signed a band up to CBS Records called New Arts we're going to um, go out on the piss celebrate <laughs> and we had like two days of this you know <laughs> Put that on the piss, <laughs> yeah yeah <Remember. laughs> so like, you know, it's mad yeah you know. and it was you know he said why don't you come work for us so i said well you know i've got stuff to do he said yeah, come work for us and i'd never really done the club thing i'd never done the transit sort of thing it was like you know i'd only been doing it a few years and uh i thought what the act like you know and uh he had this little band called new hearts It signed them up to cbs records it was just a buzz at that time, you know. The punk thing was in on the go then. I hate
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask uh, you about whether you were a fan of that. No,
0: no, no. <laughs> Anybody spits at me, me you know. You know just, um, no, that was it. Basically, we started doing like little clubs and Brian called up and say, oh, we've got a gig here tonight. And it was that, done on that sort of like level. And I was still doing other bits and pieces of work in between. They started getting supports, you know, they sorted Chris Spedding. One or two other bands And then one day Brian said Oh we're going to go out And support this band The Jam They he said We've got a gig On West Runtland Pavilion On the night before Supporting uh, I can't remember the name Noxy was in the band Vibrators And the next night Was going to a place Where I'd been before uh, It's a place called The uh, California Ballrooms In Dunstable It was supporting the jam And that's the first time I met John and Paul
1: And what year would that have been?
0: I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think uh, You know it's, I reckon it's about Six 77, something okay. like that. Yeah, I
1: was going to say, so it must be early days, given, yeah, the, given the venue. Yeah, been, yeah,
0: yeah. I've been this venue before and I mean like, you know, we're taken out by my friends. I used to knock about a lot of older guys as well when I was younger, you know. They grabbed me one night, I was in a van, next thing I know I was on the way up to Dunstable from where I lived. Turns up this place and they had two stages, one at each end. There was a band at one end, and when we turned turn around to see the other band, it was Junior and Walker and the (laughs) All-Stars. Wow. And that was it. And while working for RSD, we'd done a lot of work in there for a guy who owned it called Mickey Yorker. I'd done quite a lot of work over there in one way or another, and that's where I met John and Paul. I could actually tell you the day I met them because there's some guy on the internet has got a list of every day that pulls down.
1: We could look up the gig, yeah. Yeah,
0: you could look up the gig okay. and that was it. We'll yeah.
1: do that and figure that out. And then becoming tour manager, so swapping from one band to the other, how did you get it, the edge? Was that the first role you had with the jam?
0: No, no. I made my mind up earlier on that I didn't want to be pushing boxes all the time. You know, a lot of people, you know, I'm not, not really technical to the point when people say what's wrong with my guitar amp? And my answer would be, it's broke. <laughs> you know? I, I'm not not that way. I used to like getting into doing drums. That's what I'd done with the kinks. Like I used to have Mick Avery, done a couple of tours for him. That was all right. Nuts and bolts and stuff like that. You know, but I'm not very technical that way. But I sussed out that I thought the only way to stay in this business any length of time is get more towards the management side. And that's what I was doing with Brian, you know. And it was all right what was going on. But then... Things start getting, you know, as bands go on, you get involved in all these tight little circuits. There's only about seven or eight of you involved, yeah. and you get all the arguments, all the politics and everything like that going on, the routes in the vans. and like, you know, So you see all that side, and that's really how it started. You know? mm-hmm. John asked me to go and work for him a couple of times, and I said, well, I'm working with Brian, and I can't really do that. You know, he had, he had one or two, two bands that he, he managed, and he had a band called 90 Degrees Inclusive, who used to be under Eddie Grant's label, uh, Ice Records. He had like new art, or like slipped away from him. They went off, they'd become Secret Affair after that. But that's what we'd done. And then short of work, I was working at Wembley for, the guy who took me up there was a friend of mine, and it was like this Mel Bush thing. He'd done these rock and roll, sort of like put six bands on him one day in Wembley, okay, yeah. yeah. And I think the jam run was Slade And they were down there, John, <laughs> and it was all kicking off, Yeah. know. And John said, come and see me, come and see me, I've got a job for you. And that was it.
1: And what was the job?
0: Basically just to be about. Right. As you can see, I was be the muscle. I was a big lad. Yeah. You
1: know? And I was I was even bigger then, yeah. So So you were the guy that wouldn't stand for any shit basically.
0: Well, yeah. You know, um <laughs> I was there. Yeah. I'm not no, I'm not no heavyweight boxer, but you know, it was a bit of like, you know, John said, yeah, I'm just a bit about, you know, carry the bags and stuff like that. And that's how it started. And how did it
1: feel seeing this band and then being part of that mix and a really important part of the mix, but how did it feel seeing this band then rise? Because it was really quick, wasn't it? We're talking about a short period of time for the jam, yeah. for them yeah. topping the charts. Yeah.
0: When I first see the jam, I didn't like them. Brian used to want to stay and watch every gig, you know, we were driving the vans and stuff like that. I used to want to go, them and they, they wanted to watch every gig and stuff like that. But I weren't really into... What they've done, I never really listened to it properly. And the first time I see them and really enjoyed them, I thought, you know, was Reading, Reading Festival. And I think they just stood out from anybody else here because all the others were like, you had people like the Pirates Red and you had Sham 69 on them. And they just come on in these suits and stood out. And I thought, you know, that's it. And it was from then on. And it just, it just grew. Tours got bigger. All used to like the clubs and everything like that, smaller venues. But we gradually built up into, you know, it went with with the jam. It slowly built up more demand, more more people, and it just got massive.
1: Actually, before we started recording, you mentioned a love of travelling. Yeah. Um, in in your life, it then started getting global as well, and you were you were going overseas too.
0: Yeah, I've been travelling before. You know, I've been out I've done Europe, done America, been to South America. You know, places like that with all types of different people like you know but europe as a technician working for a pa company you was in the van you you know you, you travel and you weren't main part of the band but you worked for the pa company so that way done loads of europeans with that way started going to the states with the kinks i've been off to south america with a it was like an organization put a band on to go over to do columbia the, the artist was a Colombian, and we went over there <laughs> and Went out for three weeks and there for a half months. Really, Well, you just yeah. didn't come home? I couldn't get home. <laughs> oh right, <laughs> you know, you know, I my name was stamped on this passport. And we couldn't get this visa taken off. So you know, but British Embassy involved and everything like that. You know, so that's all
1: right.
0: <laughs> but it's it was made. Less, that's what I'm saying. It's like the Wild West with the jam. It progressively got bigger. You know, mm. started hiring buses. You know, they had tour buses, a company called Busy Wheelers and stuff like that. You know, not the ones of all like they are now. It was just like coaches. It was fun.
1: So gradually it just starts getting, like you, presumably it's like, you know, you're starting to get better amps. You're starting to get better accommodation, better coaches, that kind of thing. Uh,
0: right? it, it, was always, it was always good with John. It wasn't weren't, it weren't, weren't really about that. He always, John always liked a nice hotel and stuff like that, you know. And, you know, you used to have to watch where you stayed because... There was 102. We stayed out in Sheffield. Now, I can, I can remember it now. It's, it's a place called the Rutlands. we was listening to the women talking at breakfast. She said, I thought we only had about eight or nine people in. And she said, well, we have. She said, but we've done 30 your breakfasts. <laughs> And the Muppets were getting in the cupboards <laughs> and sleeping, getting in the hotels and stuff like that. They used to follow us back to the hotels. So That's you had all that.
1: <laughs> we should explain the Muppets, phrase right, because I've heard this. is Where did this yeah, come yeah, from? the Go Muppets.
0: On? Where's the Muppets? You?
1: And this is like the, the arms, is that right? So, <laughs> uh,
0: all of it, yeah, all of it. Like, you know, it just got, it just become a name and it stuck, you know, and it, the Muppets. And that was
1: what, the fans, the people who followed mm-hmm. yeah, it around, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> And I hope they don't get up, uh, upset by it. It were not meant in that way, but like, you know, yeah, yeah, Muppets. Yeah,
1: yeah like the Muppets uh, yeah. And the chaos of the Muppets show, I guess, yeah. way, as well. Yeah,
0: like, it yeah. was it was chaotic, you know. And, th- and that was it, you know. And it, it, it started off that level, you know.
1: There's one way where I think almost kind of it was brought on a bit yourselves in the sense that I've not heard this about any other band, but where the fans were invited into sound checks.
0: And yeah, John, Paul, you know, let them in, let them in, you know. So we'd get them in and it. Started off with a few, you know. I mean, it happened before I started with them, I think. Yeah, but it used to be a few, but it was in (laughs) in Newcastle and we was doing Newcastle City Hall. And the security guy there named Bob Taylor, he came around and said, There's 300 effing kids in there, How are we going to get them out? So don't worry about it. We'll get them out. I just said, I'll tell them to go and they go. We can't have it. We can't have it. And just said, Time to go now. And they all file out through the doors. They like go, know? yeah, yeah. Some because they haven't got tickets. No, I, right? you know, you get all that. It was all right, though, like, that way, you know. Sometimes you get a bit out of hand, yeah. you know? The guys liked it. You, know? you
1: can't imagine that now, can you, though? Like, I don't know, you got Coldplay, you know, <laughs> pop into Wembley, come and, you know, bit the sound know. check or whatever. I can't get my
0: head I don't, don't around.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But it did seem to build that bond and that connection between the fans and the band.
0: Oh, yeah, and Paul would sit down, and the guys would sit down for hours after the gigs and sit and chat with the guys and everything like that, you know. And, you know, we'd be like getting away from, like, gigs and sitting on the wall outside gigs and stuff like that. Paul is sign. signed for hours, you know, and you got to know a lot of the people as well, you know. I didn't want to get too close because sometimes I used to have to tell them to go away, Yeah, <laughs> That's not the word I'm uh, known for using, go away. <laughs> You're very, very polite at on this point. Yeah, well, I have to
1: be careful, you know. <laughs> um, and you mentioned about not, in, not initially being a fan, but as it ramps up and Paul's producing new music and stuff, you presumably start enjoying it more. Well, I suppose I,
0: I listen more, you know, yeah. and... I liked what they was doing. They stood out from everybody else as far as I'm concerned. They weren't depressing. And I didn't like all the like I said, I didn't like the punk thing. Hmm. Yeah. You know? um, I didn't you know, I didn't like the <laughs> big haircuts, you know what I mean, and, and all that. And the, all the clubs you've done around London, there was a lot of that going on, but the whole type of that, the it's all that thing I were not really into
1: the, I mean, the thing about the jam that comes through in, in everything that yeah you hear and, and the music as well is it's kind of embedded the roots are embedded in things like Mertown and the Beatles and those kind of sounds and stuff that tradition kind of coming through isn't it It didn't feel like its heart was in punk really. It was kind of part of the scene, I guess, initially, but it, it moved away from that quite quickly,
0: yeah? Yeah, yeah. but I mean, like, you know, it's how can I say? I, I lean more towards that music you, you actually talk about that way. That's more me, but I listen to all, all types of music. They just stood out as far as I was concerned, you know. The thing is, if you don't like it, you wouldn't be there for so long. And I do, I do, do love the music. I, I love the live shows. I try not to watch rehearsals too much, so when I go out on the road, I'm watching... What other people, I might be sitting on stage, but I'm watching and listening to other people and it's like fresh. But some people get jaded with stuff. You can't do that with Paul because he's always changing. All the time it's changing and evolving. And that's what he's done all the way through.
1: You talk about a change. Let's talk about that end of the jam, 1982. How did you find out and how did you feel? Did you think that was the end of the gig with working with them?
0: No, I knew what was going to happen Paul just asked me and he said what are you going to do I said I'm with you and your dad I mean I, I love John to bits mm. you know and Paul was always great so that's that's what I was going to do
1: did your yeah. job become easier with the style council in the sense that there seems to be less aggro at the gigs
0: uh, the gigs weren't hard really I mean like you know it's, it was fun I mean like you know it could get a little bit it could get a little bit carried away sometimes and you get a little bit have a few problems but you get that with any any style of bands I, I think a lot of the bands at that time brought a lot of that stuff on themselves I mean I think they instigate it, especially people like Sham 69 here we go <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you
1: Right, the dogs are home, yeah. <laughs> dogs are home from their walkers. chaos. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. Um, I a couple of questions about the jam before we move on to the style council. Okay. So actually, um, obviously, it was a whole band affair. So, whilst your connection was with Paul and staying with Paul for the style council, that power of the three of them together seemed like no other band from what I can work at. Yeah, no, it, it was a really tight unit, wasn't it?
0: it? It was, you know, it was like it was great to see, you know, they they just progressed and got stronger, you know, and it was. That's how it went, you know, the writing and the numbers. And when you see that audience get fired up by the three of them, and it'd be full on. It was good, you know. You know, we, we get people who say, oh, the jam don't make this, and they made me do that. And, like, you know, different people have got different things. out. We had kids come to the States, travel all over the States. Just remember someone, one of the kids, Bradley, who used to knock about, he used to turn up everywhere. He just got all his money together and just... Went out on tour in the states and followed us everywhere. He'd turn up for the gigs, you know, and I think it given the travelling bug because I, I still hear now and again that he works and he travels, he earns his money and just goes off travelling. You know, so there's one or two I know. There's we're about over the years see some old faces now and again. I think Paul bumped into a few years ago. He bumped into a cab driver that we used to throw at our gigs. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? There was a chap, Steve Henders, who's been on the podcast, an American chap who came over to the UK to see everywhere that the jam were talking about, everywhere that Paul was talking about, visited Woking, yeah. end up falling asleep outside a tree and being dragged yeah. into the well at home for tea and then saw the jam the following day. But that would happen quite a bit, just turning up at the family home, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, well, you know, they used to turn up around Balmoral. And, you know, from what they used to tell me, they turn up on their scooters and stuff like that. And, you know, knew most of them, still does. They'd be a little bit crazy that way, you know. Yeah,
1: the jam army, yeah, following them around.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, you do. I mean, we get the scooter run up here in September. And I have to laugh when I see all the scooters go past with the, leg and, you know, the badges on and everything like that.
1: If only they knew, they'd be pulling in to come and have a chat, wouldn't they?
0: <laughs> well, I, don't I don't know about that. Jam you know. <laughs> was a, it was, it was unique unique in that way you know? yeah.
1: take me through the work that it takes to organize a tour then so when your role moves into tour manager what did that involve what was well, the job spec john
0: john said to me because we they had a guy called dicky bell used to tour manage and what he'd do is he'd go off with the crew and he'd leave me with the, the tickets for the flights and stuff like that you know we we fly wherever we're going um if we were in the states or you know i started doing bits and pieces like that and then slowly you get more and more and he, he left and jock took over and um jock departed and john said you can tour manage can't you and i would, yeah, like, I go, yeah, and it started that way. It's so much different then to what it is now, you know. John would decide what they're going to do with Paul. We'd start building a tour and try and make it work running around the country. So you weren't backwards and forwards on yourself all the time. And you'd build it up that way. Right. And then getting your trucks together, getting your, your buses, getting your crew together. It'd slowly build up. John would work out all the costumes and me and John would work together on getting that tour together. And then... Paul would say what he wanted to do tell the guys and start that way
1: and it was pretty relentless for the jam wasn't it it was pretty I mean the oh, amount yeah. of tours in that short period of time
0: it yeah they, it weren't like sort of like where a lot of bands go out on the road for two years it were not like that it was just like we toured <laughs> and we toured and then it, it, if we weren't touring they would have been in the studio <laughs> you know it just worked like that you know it just carried on and it was good There'd be all sorts of things to do it's not just touring but when you're not touring you're either working on a tour because it has to start Way in advance, you know, you don't put together in three or four weeks, so and you slowly build up to it.
1: And presumably, there's a whole thing around life on the road as well—that camaraderie, that those relationships you build. Which,
0: yeah, yeah, you know, I i used the old days were some of the best times because you get on a bus and you'll go. No one could get older <laughs> you until you either got to the gig or you got to the hotel. So. There was none of this mobile phones, no sort of like um, laptops, pencil and paper, phones in the gig, and phones at the hotel. And some of the hotels and gig phones weren't that great. You know, you're pretty much on your own in your capsule when you went out on your your bus, you know. You get in touch with your crew, you keep in touch with them. Sometimes the crew will be in the same hotel, sometimes they wouldn't. You know, you'd see them at the venues when you turn up. But
1: like a complete, like you're in your own bubble. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what I used to say to bill? i have done it all with pencil and paper, and I can't spell to save my life. Uh, But... I used to get the tours down. We used to plan our routes. You know, once we got our routes planned, we, we start getting the hotels and then we'd, we'd build up that way, you know. Yeah. And i will have a list and go for it with John. John made all the, the main decisions on that. You know, he ran run the thing. I'll, I'll laugh because like, you know, I hear people talk about Malcolm McLaren and who's and a guy who, who had the clash and people like all that. You yeah. know, they get all this credit, but John done a great job. You know, he, he, also, he was also a great geezer.
1: That work ethic seems to come from John as well, from what I can understand. Would that be right?
0: Yeah, he, 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 loved, he loved this business. He, he loved it, and sometimes you say so he couldn't believe it. The way he worked, he made sure everybody was involved. You know what I mean? Mm. And that was good.
1: Yeah, well, it seemed like a real family business, yeah. and by that, I don't just mean the Weller family. I mean that you all became a family together. You can yeah. even see that now with Steve Ellis talked to me the other week and, talk, and referred to it as the Black Barn Crew, <laughs> because you can see it now that this family still exists of the band, of the, the crew and people like yourself and Bill, your son, and you know Charles, the engineer, all that. Team is yeah. really tight, isn't it?
0: People have been out a long time. You know, even Bill. It's been about a few years now. Charles and um, you know those other people. Angie, our, um, our sound engineer. People have been about a long time. You know, Roger does balls guitars. You know, people don't. It's very rare that people are going to come and do one tour and then go off. You know? you know, don't. It don't really happen that way. Yeah, we get people from different companies that work with us. That come out on, you know, they might still work with the company, but I want to do our tours. You know, so it works that way.
1: Oh, so let's talk about the Style Council because it was a completely different, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> different yeah. sound. I'm imagining, like I say, that the gigs are probably less, um, less chaotic. It feels like it was more fun, maybe, from what Paul said. That certainly he talks about it that way, being it, a, like, it, a really fun crew.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, like nobody knew what was going to happen. You know, um, we'd done the last dates and uh, in the January, Style Council started and uh, he was in the studio and, and that and just nobody knew what was going to happen we don't know what Paul was going to do he never had no bandage just in the mic started off doing like studio started doing interviews we used to have to laugh at that time because we'd done we'd done some photo sessions with Pete Anderson and Max and then we'd turn up a photo session oh you have got the Max with you <laughs> you know <laughs> It was that type of thing. like You, well, you had to carry them around with you then. <laughs> no, but, you know, it was that, that type of thing. Like, um, it was weird because we never done any real live dates at that time, not until I'd, I think the first thing we'd done live was Brookwell R- Park. Mm. That was a strange one.
1: And then they went straight out to Europe as well. Before they did the UK properly, I think they went straight yeah.
0: abroad. Well, I think, like, you know, Paul used to, like, break the stuff in over there, you know, try and do something different, Yeah. You know? I can't remember the first tour we actually done. I know we've done some bits and pieces here. We've done Brockwell Park and I think we've done Liverpool. And just so many people. With the jam, I think the most we had was, might have been six, because we had a couple of brass players and we had little Jimmy Delford, the keyboard player. And all of a sudden, like the style council sort of like (laughs) involved to a large number of people, which was, uh, you know, it's crazy sometimes.
1: Now, the um, some of the people who've been on, the honorary counsellors have been on the podcast, and, and pretty much every single one of them has referred to it as being like a youth club. <laughs> um, and ultimately, with you, the man in charge, to kind of keep this like keep this in check, yeah, yeah. 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 would that be fair?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. John was, John was always there. You know, it's the two of us, you know, to try and keep them all together and get everybody down on time and get to where you're going, you know, more people. And some people, is, uh, you know, you wonder what's between their heads. You know? <laughs> You know, point it politely. <laughs>
1: and some of those gigs were massive. I mean, like Japan stands out as one that a lot of people talk about. When you go to Tokyo, those gigs would be huge. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. we done the, um, I think we done the, the, the I'm trying to think of the name of the hall. I can't remember, but it was a sumo wrestling hall. And I think we'd done two or three nights here, 5,000 people. And they got they got quite big gigs over there. You know, it was good.
1: And that must have been harder, organizing those kind of things. If this is pre-internet organizing those tour dates overseas
0: it's all the same you know it doesn't matter whether you're doing it for three people or 12 people or, or 20 people it's all the same you've got to put it all together there's more people to get about the, the general principle is the same thing it's the same as doing the venues whether you do a club or you do an arena you know it's just more people and more equipment involved and stuff like that. just escalates mm. sometimes I've, I've seen great club gigs I've seen great festival gigs that Paul's done as well. It's just like a larger problem. More people get involved and you have more people work with you. But it's still got to come from that stem in the middle, you know, of like John, me working with him, Paul. The guys, Paul, saying what he wants to do, and then us doing it.
1: How would you know it had been a good one? So when you come off stage, how would it? What would the feeling be like? From this, this has gone well tonight.
0: Well, sometimes I think the gig's gone well, and the you know, other <laughs> people wouldn't. You know, <laughs> so, you know, you, you can't tell. Sometimes you you might see a guitar go through it, and you know, saying, "Well, that no, saying ain't quite right." you know? so, <laughs> I
1: thought it was a good one. It went well, but yeah, yeah that, everybody yeah, else is kicking up,
0: yeah. right. <laughs> But it's like, like I say, I'm not out there in the middle and I don't know what they're listening to. And what they can hear is not what necessarily you hear over here. So that's the odd thing about it. And if they've got a bad sound and they're struggling, they're having to force themselves, you know, and you don't really know that. It's something that happens. You know, you you try and make sure that's sorted out.
1: We talked about how tight the three of the the guys in the jam were. And obviously they came up as kids and this band. It started with Paul and Mick, the style council, but very soon becomes, you know, the honorary counselors, D and Steve, become like yeah. full time the band. Yeah. What was special about the, the four of those working together, do you think?
0: I really don't know. You know, just, it just, just sort of happened. I mean, Steve White was, he, when he turned up, we'd already got the drummer from Rockwell Park. So he turned up and he. I, you know, I said to him, like, you know, well, we've got a drummer. You know? you've,
1: already got, you've already got somebody. Yeah. He
0: said, well, right. can I go and see Paul? So I said, well, yeah. He said, I spent my last £1. Like you getting over here, so I'll give him a tenner, I think. And uh, he went in, and when I walked in there, he's on the kit, he's playing. <laughs> I thought, you know, he's in <laughs> he was he, like 17 years old, wasn't he? I think he was 16, right? Yeah, you know? I might be wrong, I, mean, I think, but he's on the kit playing, you know. And Paul said, Doing what you're doing Thursday, and he come down, he'd done a kid Jensen session, I think, I think that's how it started. Yeah, you know? no, it was just, just the way it was, yeah. you know, no one was specifically in, you know. Poor Paul different people in, you yeah. know, in the area want and then we build up that way. You would know. you talk to someone. Well, it's always Part of
1: the mix, uh, part of the band. Playing yeah, with them yeah. Or whatever. yeah,
0: yeah. And he'll have ideas and that was it.
1: I love this. This is so fascinating, honestly. The, um, the thing about the style council you mentioned about Paul's music always changing, always pushing forward—that's yeah. true of the whole career, right? Um, but the style council, every single seems to be different. Every album seems to be very different. Um, as somebody who loves music and being part of it, I mean, so that must have been just been really exciting to be a part of because you never know what you're going to get next,
0: did mm, you? I'll be alive. If I said I liked everything that Paul done. Yeah, and no, no, I can't say that, but it was it was interesting. I mean, like certain tracks, for instance, other, and it's a way I used to listen to music. If you bought an album. I'd defy anybody to like everything on an album, but by the time you've had that album, you played it a few times. The ones you started off liking go backwards, and the ones you possibly didn't like grew on you. And that's what I like about with Paul stuff. You know, there's there's growers, and it's always it's always different. I remember when he played me "Broken Stone." He was down at the manor, and he said, "We we've done this one," and I was just straight away. It reminded me of sitting on Dock of the Bay. And I think I said to him at the time that, you know, so when you hear different things, you know, you get, get these tingles at the back of your head. Sometimes there's tracks they do that they like instantly. I wouldn't necessarily like it, mm. but they do grow on you, you know. And you find yourself, I find myself playing different stuff at different times. You know, I'll have a, I'll have a jam night some night. So just sit there with my headphones on and play, mainly when I'm in the car or I can't sleep. And and you listen to stuff and you think, bloody hell, and the amount of it and style council stuff.
1: It's so diverse, isn't it, the style council stuff? And that but the, the thing about it as well is when when that finishes, presumably there was a bit of a period where as a tour manager, you know, the record label has you know not released the model as an album. <laughs> Paul's not on the road. He's, he's talked about being at home, not really knowing what to do. Was there a bit of doubt in your mind as a tour manager of what was going to come next?
0: I think he's like, he's in this, it's what he does. Yeah. And I would that that feeling. It always, it always worked, Paul. So Is at he, some
1: point, he was going to come back on the road, come back doing it. Yeah. You just had to sit around waiting wait until
0: when? Yeah, I just... You know, I just, I don't think people like with him, he, it's it's inside him. When you see him work in the studio and you know he's enthusiastic about everything, you know, whenever he's working, you know, it's, it's what he does. And it's great to see. It's not like some of the tired bands that go out and play their greatest hits and they, they're living on albums from like 15, 20 years ago. It's good to hear some of those tunes and there's... More of the old stuff I like Paul to play, but I do like the new stuff as well. So you can draw on all that and mm. pick tracks out from anywhere.
1: As we talk now, we're just days away from the new tour starting. Yeah. Is there a song that you wish you'd put
0: into that set list for this one? I haven't seen the set list. <laughs> Is there something you'd be like, come on, Paul, play that one for us? <laughs> uh, no, well, you know, I like I like different, different tracks. It's the same as everybody, but... You know, like I said to you, I will. I sit inside the stage and I watch the show from New. I'm going to go down to rehearsals tomorrow and listen to the set, you know. I, d- I don't know what the set list is yet. I haven't read it. They've been rehearsing. I heard some rehearsals the other day were going well, down to the barn.
1: Yeah, there's a little clip on YouTube I saw. Which, yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but that's it. You know, you sit at the barn and you can hear it going on all the time, yeah. Sometimes I go and sit in the studio and listen. It just grows. He rehearses so many numbers. And he might drop different numbers and change different numbers around.
1: Well, so, I mean it's such a massive back catalogue; it's insane. Yeah. Right? The amount. Yeah. I mean, the amount of materials to pick from there is it's it's crazy. So, if we focus quickly on that first the solo years, so, so when Paul goes solo as a yeah. tour manager, those dates, I mean, those venues change radically from the end of the style so yeah, Suddenly, think, suddenly you were at smaller venues again. Yeah,
0: clubs again. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, you know, it's, it's like it's I said same, to you, the same, same, job, same thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. same job. You got to get in those places and you play them. know, yeah? some of them are shitholes. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> <laughs> and they are, you know. You, you know, you don't, you go in some of the places, you don't want to sit down on something, you know, you don't know what's there, you know, you know that, that thing about walking across the floor and, you know, but, you know, it varies. It brings you back down again, you yeah? yeah. uh, know, but the gigs are still good. And it was starting over again, you yeah? know, mm. and it, and his writing was still good and he was enjoying playing and that's it. So your part is making sure it, you you can happen him in the best of your ability. You know, you get it on there. You want to make sure he's got everything he needs here for him to do what he has to do. And the let's put on him the better.
1: How did it feel then when it started being like, he's properly back on top. And it, you know, if you talk about like Wildwood, Stanley Road, Heavy Soul.
0: I don't think he gets the credit he should do sometimes. I think he's one of the, or if not the best songwriter in this country. And he's, he's one of the most consistent. And I don't know anybody who writes songs like him. With his back catalogue and what he writes, he had two number one albums last year. And I don't think he gets the credit for it. With the jam, if you ever see the jam knocked in any of the music papers, they will get slaughtered the next week with Mao and stuff like that. The kids will be on to them. You know, I don't think you see that now. The old business has changed. It's different. It's completely changed now. But. The Only thing that hasn't changed is going out and playing with the kids mm-hmm. and going out and playing the ordinances, and that's still there.
1: I mean, the great thing is the experience of buying a ticket has changed in the sense that at one point you had to send off your check in the stamps dress envelope and you get your tickets back. Whereas now, although it seems to be harder to get tickets sometimes these days, so they sell out instantly, but
0: yeah, but there's so many crooks, <laughs> yeah. you know. I don't trust half of them, like, you know, I don't. These booking agencies and everything like that, you know, people who just sit there and put five quid on a ticket, yeah. that's cheap, a booking fee, you know, for answering a phone call.
1: Or for something that's just automated yeah. on, the, on the computer anyway, yeah, just you know, it's, producing it's, a PDF for the ticket.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, uh, and, and when, it comes, when it comes back to it, there's always the same people involved. You know? So, mm. you know, it's just another way of, of selling stuff.
1: We've got some questions from the fans which yeah. um, I thought you'd love. So one was about Steve Craddock. And Steve Craddock obviously has been a key part of Weller's band for well, for as long as I've been a fan. But didn't you used to have to kick him out of Solid Bond all the time? Was that right?
0: It, it, not not all the time. he came come down one time, he was there, Seaport and stuff like that. And we used to get people turn up at Solid Bond. You know, they'd come back. And he was down one day. And I went when I went back the next morning, he was there having breakfast with Arthur and everything like
1: that. <laughs> you can say it, go
0: on. Yeah, tell him to fuck off, yeah. <laughs> But his dad phoned me up because he'd bunked off of school.
1: Right. Oh.
0: And he'd come down to London and his dad phoned me up. His dad was a copper before, you know, and he, he said, did you so Martin? I said, yeah. He said, good. You all go on well with Chris. we still keep in touch, you know. It. <laughs> yeah. A
1: little while back, Lawrence Watson did a book with Paul. Um, and there's a brilliant quote in it. I'm going to read this to you. I don't know if you've ever heard this. So Paul said, Kenny is the one who cops the most flack. The tour manager's role is the toughest, in my opinion. They get it from all sides, band and crew, and at times from promoter, manager and punters. He's had near heart attacks over us, me and Papa John, but I love him because he's always looking out for us. I hope he knows that. This grizzly bear with a heart of gold. Have you ever heard that?
0: <laughs> I haven't read that, no. <laughs> you get
1: it from all angles, do you? Yeah. I guess. And when it's going well, you're the popular one, but when it's not, it, the grief comes into, to you. you.
0: You can be at the sharp end sometimes, and sometimes you get shit thrown at you that it's not necessarily your fault, but you're the closest one, you know, and and you can handle that. It's when it's sometimes it can be constant from certain sections and I don't know whether they're moaning just for the sake of moaning, you know. Paul's always had my back, same as John, and it's gone from being, I work for Paul, he's, he's also my friend, you know, and his dad was my mate, you know, and we used to sit and talk about all sorts of things. And his dad put me right on certain things, give me advice stuff that he looked after me, you know, they both have, you know, it's a big part of my life. And we said, me and John sat down one night and he, someone asked me a question the other day and said, how many true friends do you have? He said, "And can you count? And I sat there and I went three and he went, oh, they went apart from family or anything like that is you, Paul and my mate Brian. And that was it. I've got people around me who I've known for a long time, but actual true friends who have always been, well, have been there for you as long as you know them. They're the three. There's people you've been friends with, kids, and you lost them now, you know. But those are the three friends that, you know, I keep in touch with Brian. John, we had great times together. You know, mm. we had great times with Paul and I'd do anything for him and I think he'd do anything for me.
1: And it seems like there's something special about those bonds that are created on the road because it's not just about the music, it's about the time that you're, you know, you're that capsule you talked about earlier, that bubble you're in. Yeah. You're so tight, yeah?
0: Also, the other thing is, I see the relationship Paul and John had and I wanted that with markets to see them two together and they used to they they ups and downers, but like father and son. And now they were and they could work together, live together and everything like that. I thought that was great. You know, Bill works with us. I was gonna ask how that came about. So yeah, how did how did your son Bill become part of the the mix? Nikki wanted someone to overdo the merchandising and I think Bill started working with the merchandising. I think he got bit by the bug a little bit. You know, he, he, he got involved with merchandising, done it, and then he'd done some merchandising for us, and then he started doing bits and pieces. He still does. He's done merchandising. He's worked for other bands and bits and pieces, but... I think he's been about some time now, you know, and he's slowly adapted to it. I suppose, I don't know whether he's see our work over the years, but he's just taken the ball by the horns and mm. got on with it. And he's good at what he does. Better than I am.
1: Is there a bit, yeah. Was there a moment where you handed over the baton almost? Not, you re- not really. You know, I still
0: like to... We um, was talking earlier when he called me up, yeah. you know. Just has grown into it. He's really good. He's good at what he does. It's a different way of working now. It's a different, you know, 24 hours a day. And it was 24 hours a day then, but you know, you was all together. This is, you know, you have your laptop, you have your iPad, you have this, you have that, you know, you can get in touch with anybody wherever they are. Before, if you know, we went off to Japan, were not easy to call Japan. I remember calling my mum. I was in, the, was in Japan one time and was in in this bus and it had a sunroof on it. And the promoter had one of these phones, but it was like a brick. And it was about three o'clock in the morning. Called my mum, because I always used to call my mum wherever. And I went, where are you? She said, it's early hours in the morning. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in a van in Tokyo, <laughs> standing up out of the roof on this phone, <laughs> and that's that's Eric. You know, did Mick tell you the story about when he got left on well, the Red oh, Well, oh well, better it out. It would have
1: been awkward otherwise. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, so, so you left Mick at a service station.
0: Yeah, and everybody thinks I've done it deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs think it's hilarious. Though. No, <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. <laughs> We'd done the tour and we had, when they, we agreed to do the Paul agreed to do the Red Wedge tour, he said, we, we've got to do it the way we want to do it, you know, because like, you know, working with the political side and all that. And I booked normal run of hotels and stuff like that. I used to fine people for losing their passes.
1: What did people get fined for? Was it just the passes or they, the other if things If they didn't have well? their pass, right, say,
0: okay. we, have, we, have, we have 30 odd people on yeah. the road. You know, if they didn't have their pass, I'd take a tenner off them. Nice. So at the end of the tour, I got this money, bought myself a bottle of champagne like- <laughs> <laughs> and I got pissed. Yeah. You know? So with the last night we was at a place called Lumley Castle. We leave in the morning, we get everybody on the bus. We've had about a week of this, 10-12 days, and everything had been fine. The shows were the shows were really good because they never really run late. We never had many problems. I think the most acts we had on in one night was 11. This is part
1: of Red Wedge. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: We left this hotel and I had hangers. I don't normally get hangers. And we got down to, uh, I think it was Nottingham. Everybody had gone into the services and come out. We got on the bus and Mono, a guy called Mono used to work. So everybody on? He went, yeah. And instead of counting myself, he's usually walked visibly down the bus and counted everybody. I didn't. They reckon Mick was chasing the bus down <laughs> the ramp. <ranch. laughs> And they reckon I'd done it on purpose, but I I didn't. The thing about the phone, there was a DJ on there. I'm Try and remember her name. I can't think of the name at the moment. But her brother was on the bus for us, and he had one of these phones that went with a box. You know, it looked like one of the things the military use. Okay. And I managed to make a couple of phone calls on this to find out where he was. Uh, and apparently, the, the support band from the red wedge van pulled in the same service, and they gave him a lift back home. But I got I got grief for that. You know. <laughs> and and yeah, you know, I got it for a few weeks. I walked in the office on the Monday and. The there was a picture of Mick on the wall and it says, has anybody seen this man? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mick Talbot did mention that to me, I have yeah. to say, as did Steve White mention the, the story as well. So he said that you were the man who said to him, Whitey, I like you because you're no trouble, which is nice. He said, thanks. So I appreciate that, King Kenny. He said, but also he asks, why are we staying in Wrexham when we're playing five nights at the Apollo Manchester? And then he mentioned about, I think you
0: um, him and Damon got left at the Telford International Arena. Does this ring a bell? Telford, I'm trying to think. Sometimes people tell me things and I will take that for granted. And then they seem to get the other side of it. Yeah, you know, some people say, well, I'm going to get a lift with so and so, so and so. And that lift don't, they've had a few drinks and they forget it. But, you know. I, I it don't really stick
1: out in my head. Well, I think they, they, the point they were making is sometimes the hotel was miles away from where the gig was. I think yeah. they, they mentioned the one that one, there was a the festival in Belgium and then the, the hotel was in Kent or something. <laughs> well, they're you know, not, they're they, not they, the they, ones organising the logistics, are they? You know,
0: There's situations sometimes when they don't realise, you know, we, with the jam, we could have people back at the hotel and they'd be banging on Paul's room at three o'clock in the morning. Oh,
1: you know? God, yeah, of course.
0: You know, and uh, we... You know, it, it happened with the style council as well. You know, people can find out where you are. We've had to change names. We've had to stay away from areas. You know, I've put them in under different names and everything. You know, but they didn't necessarily go to their rooms. They'd go to pools. So sometimes we have to make decisions. Sometimes places are fully booked. Now we book months in advance, so you can, you can be in one area and there there might not be a there might not be a room available there. Sometimes I have these conferences and all the areas all the way around. Are fully booked and they don't see all that side and you have tried for months this and sometimes these people book up way longer than you do because they've done it one year and they do it the next you know sometimes we have to be at the airport earlier to get a flight and they don't like it you know well I'm not worried about you I'm worried about getting everybody there and yes I do make mistakes
1: you're human right
0: yeah 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 I've cocked up <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I have. I I went to an airport one day and uh, I think we'd been, we was in Scotland and we'd done a, we'd done a festival. I think it was Damon's wedding anniversary. All right.
1: And was he with you at the time?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But they had a bit of a party for him. He had family up and stuff like that. Well, we found a table on the stage and we had a card school. Chris used to play cards, John, Andy McDonald, a few of the others. We used to play cards all the time. Yeah. What did you play? We played free card brag, blind break, And for yeah. money
1: or chips or just a bit yeah, of fun?
0: Yeah, it's all for money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I could be broke by the time I got down the edge of a road with John. <laughs> <laughs> I have been as well, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, we we played cards and had a long night. We got up in the morning John actually banged my door. nearly then he kicked my door and, get up. And I was, I'd overslept and said, come on, you fucking kick everybody else up. And so got to the airport and I went up to this. I said, I've got... 15 people to check in for flight plan. She said, Well, you could check in for them if you went to the British Airways desk, it's down there. <laughs> yeah, you make mistakes and you have slip ups. You have to get over them. But no, I don't really remember that. You know? <laughs> um,
1: well, there you are.
0: Um, they remember things differently to I It might have been more important to them at. Time, that.
1: yeah. Billy Bragg talks about how you were frighteningly efficient, kept track of everything, had a system of fines. If you lost your tour pass, for example, you were fined five quid on the on the spot. But also, that, that you, you were up until the Mick incident, you were really proud that you'd never lost anybody on a gig or a yeah, tour or yeah. anything like that, right? So but I thought that was really nice. But yeah, a, so it a bit like a football manager. If you're late for training, there's a fine,
0: yeah. So, yeah, great idea. Well, he took a fine off me, did he? He fined me 10 quid. Billy Bragg fined you 10 quid, fined me 10 quid for losing my pass. <laughs> And I don't know where it is at the moment, but that it's a Scottish £10 note and it's in a frame, and I've still got it. Oh, brilliant. It normally sits on the wall. I don't know. I'd have to ask Pat, but it's got to be in one of the boxes. But he'd give it back to me and said, There's your (laughs) fine. And I've still got it. You
1: know? Over the past couple of years, the chaos of what's happened with the pandemic and reshuffling dates, cancelling things—I yeah. mean, that must that gets even more complex and confusing for for everybody involved.
0: Well, it's it's unbelievable. Like you know, you don't you know you don't know what's going on in other countries now. I, I, I keep in touch. I still use the phone. It's not all emails with me and everything. Like that. I talk to people. I talk to our people in. Holland, Belgium, Germany, even promoters we don't use now, and I've still got relations with them. Mm. I talk to the people in Australia, Japan. In fact, our, our person from Japan lives in Brighton. Uh, she's a nice little lady called Laley. But you, you talk and you tr- you try to get the feeling of them over there because what you see in the papers and what you hear, you only hear. Uh, you you know, so you, and, and people just don't know what they're going to be allowed to do. I mean, in Europe at the moment, it's all you've got to be fully vaccinated before you go in the venue. Some you need to be vaccinated with a test. The test seems to be dropping now. It's full vaccination. So, you know, you don't know what's going on. Um, I was talking to the guy in Australia. He's saying he's got a venue. I think it's 4,000 capacity. You can have 400 people in there.
1: Which doesn't make it no, viable no. cost-wise, right, does it? No,
0: but it's now slowly opening up. You know, people are getting vaccinated and things are slowly changing. But I think I heard the other day that they might be bringing in lockdown somewhere in Europe again. You don't know how things are going on. It's hard. We started working on a Japanese and Australian tour and we had a run of dates. We should have done them last year. They're now 2023. You know, it's it's been mad and nobody's ever experienced anything like this before. So mm. you don't know.
1: A couple more questions from the fans. Actually, actually one from Bill who says, I have to ask you about this. I have, to, I have to ask you, how, how did he explain to my mum about me having to go to hospital when I was a kid after banging my head on a glass table at either a rehearsal or a video shoot? <laughs> oh, <show>? shit. <laughs> Should I not ask?
0: Uh, oh, shit. How did... <laughs> we, we was at Nomis, and I used to take Bill with me. You know, he'd come and, like, you know, he's only young. And he was bouncing on the... sofa. next thing I know, he's up, and there's a guy called Phil Palmer. I've known Phil for years, Phil Palmer is Ray Davis's cousin. Phil come out on the rovers one time to work us, and we turned up in this five-ton Luton truck. And he come out and he put his case in the back, and he went, "Has it all got to come out?" And we went, "Yeah, every fucking night."
1: <laughs> and then back in again.
0: <laughs> yeah, when we got down to the hotel, we went got the guy to come out to get our bags, and he, and he went. Has it all got to come out? And this Phil went to him. Yeah, every fucking night. <laughs> but Phil Phil went on to play guitar with um, Eric Clapton. Played with loads of people. You know, he's a top guitarist. Turn around. He's got Bill in his arms and his blood coming everywhere. And he'd come off this seat, banged his head, and we're off down to uh, the hospital round it. I think it's Charing Cross Hospital. Come on, that's what you've done to him. And that was it. You know, he's banged his head. He's all right. There's nothing wrong with him. He's got a lump on his head, you know, but he done it, not me. <laughs> but Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, Come
1: on, Bill. Um, right. A couple of questions then from the fans um, before we wrap up. Um, this is Daniel from Leicester. So, hey, Kenny, you met a lot of Jam Style Council poor Weller fans over the years. Are there any weird, kind, strange, funny memories that stick in your mind? The Muppets.
0: The Muppets, yeah. Um, there's loads of strange stories, you know, um, I mean, I've been told all sorts of things to try and get in. People have come up and said, Paul, spot me on the list and they're not there. All sorts of things. But the weirdest thing I've ever heard is there was a guy called Crank he used to follow us jam dates. And he turned up at the stage door and I've thrown Crank out gigs and stuff like this. And he said, can he, can he let me in? He said, no. I said, Why you got a ticket? He said, I had a ticket. He said, But my name got buried today. And the ticket was in a coat kind of pocket. <laughs> come on in. <laughs> Did you let him in? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's things like that, you know. And uh, John John used to be great. He Brighton the last gig, the jam. He he just got, he knew, we knew touts were going to be about, and John got a load of tickets left over. And he went out and he handed them out to him. And he had to drag him in the door because he, he nearly got lynched. Yeah. People going mad to get these tickets. You know.
1: Uh, here's another one uh, from the Soul Deep team. Who used to get under your skin more, ticket touts or merchandise bootleggers?
0: They're both the same people, <laughs> were they?
1: Yeah. They the, one job at the beginning, one job at the end.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> no, they'll they, be out there. They'll be out there before the gigs, after the gigs. You know, and they're all the same. They're all the same people. You know, nobody seems to be able to do anything about them. Um, we've turned tables over and chased people off and and everything like that. You know, and they still come back. Still In fact, out. you get to normal. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you get the normal you know. I mean, Barry Murphy, he was a pirate. Yeah, one of the biggest companies going, Bravado. Yeah, you know? so, oh, right. uh, Yeah, you know, so
1: yeah, you know, all come good in the end. Yeah, all come good in the end. Yeah, um, right. Couple more for you, Ian. Was it you giving out complimentary tickets at the stage door for the final jam gig in Brighton? If it was, I may have forgotten to thank you in my excitement stroke, drunken state. That's exactly what you were just talking about. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, Yeah. Um, once, when Weller reviewed the singles for Melody Maker, he said of a Depeche Mode release, "I've heard more melody coming out of Kenny Wheeler's arse
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's true. <laughs> And they put that quote on the album. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: Love it. <laughs> I would always like the references. Actually, uh, the one thing I think we pull—he always credits everybody who's been involved in an album—and yeah. right from the early days, you're there on there as a credit. And, yeah. and I think that's really—you like, yeah, no, don't see yeah, anybody else really nice, doing that.
0: Yeah. 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 No, it's nice. It, it makes you feel part of it. You know, it's uh,
1: it's good. Gareth Bradburn, is there one gig that stands out? If so, why?
0: Uh, there's loads of gigs, but I always really like Live Aid. And it was so special, you know, and uh, I think I was more nervous than the band that day because it was all taken out of your hands, you know, you was there and you'd done it because we'd done it, we'd done the gig. And then we went from the gig down to, I'm trying to- Was it Maidstone? Maidstone, it? Yeah. done a TV show and went back. And we'd done Matthew Kelly's show down there, you know. We'd done that, recorded that and then come back for the finale and everything like that. And I just thought that was an incredible day, you know. Like I say, Red, Redding, when I see the Jam come out in those their suits, they mm. used to wear these black suits, and these <laughs> we used to have to get them. John used to get them cleaned all the time, and you can see them getting shorter and shorter <laughs> trousers. But they come out in these tonic suits, I think they were, and I, I watched the whole set. You know, that, that was the one, you know, stands out. And I, I, I did listen to Jam numbers before that. I didn't like all this stuff, but that's when I think I really started liking mm. the Jam. You know, that that one particular for me, and that was right in the early days. Yeah. Before I started working for him, And
1: in the solo years, are there there venues where you go, you know it's going to work there? Like Barrowlands has been talked about as one where it's always pretty special, but also (laughs) kicks off a little bit.
0: There's venues that everybody, you know, that people like. It's the audience. You know, the audience, Scottish audiences are always great. Newcastle City all used to be a top audience. You know, they they really get into it, you know, but Barrowlands is a good gig. Yeah, but... Such as crap hole barrel heads, you know? <laughs> you know, the, It's it's, but it's good to do. Yeah, you know? it's good to do. Yeah, the band really love it, the audience are great. Scottish audience are great. You
1: know? is there some way that you'd always wish you'd been? So you, know, you mentioned somebody who loves travelling. Was there somebody that you wish you the band haven't played, but actually would have been really nice to to have been there at one point?
0: I suppose there's one or two places I would like to have seen, but. I can't really put my finger no. on it where you know I've, I've been quite lucky I've seen quite a lot one way or another you know I've I've, I've got a full glass <laughs> you know what I mean uh, it's been it's been great you yeah. know the whole thing you know I don't I still love it now I mean they're going to start touring on Monday and I'm going to be gutted I'm not I'm not going to do it you know
1: I mean it's the longest period of time that he's not done a gig since you know since the jam since before the jam you know his, yeah. his career that the biggest gap now but the forest gigs then we had Greenwich and Edinburgh and then we've obviously had the, the gig at Black Barn and the um, barbican but really in terms of touring it's the longest period of time since i think since you know, yeah Jan. yeah yeah i mean they must all be buzzing to get back out there aren't
0: they they are you know everybody's sort of like uh it's it's everybody in the business you know people who love playing they must all be feeling the same and it's really hard because you you want to protect everybody you want to make sure it's all all right but there's still this feeling you want to get out there and do it i don't know what's wrong right i don't know whether now we should we, we have to live with this thing and uh I don't know.
1: And there are so many jobs in the industry that are reliant on touring, aren't there, in terms of not just you in the, in the kind of Weller crew, but you think about all the knock-on effects, all these small businesses around the world.
0: That's the one thing that sticks in my mind about this government. They completely ignored this industry completely. They've done nothing for it whatsoever. And I do wish, I kept saying, whoever the fucking technicians were at Brighton, when Nat Rushdie walked on there to give his speech, they should have turned off the fucking mic and the lights. Fucking see what you could talk about then. Yeah. And that's the way to show them. Yeah. This industry was one of the biggest earners for this country. And it has been for years. And they completely ignored everybody and told them to go and get other jobs. And a lot of them did. A lot of them went out and got jobs and everything like that, you know. But we can do them. And there's people leaving now who will never come back and work in it. They earn, they've earned fortunes out of it. You know, they've... they've They've earned fortunes out of this business and don't do anything for it. It's wrong. It just winds me up so much. You know, and people, this is important. This is people who are entertained, they come out, people build their lives around music. And it seems to be forgot about. Yeah. Well, there's
1: also that savior in lockdown, wasn't it? Music, yeah, music helped us through. Yeah. The power of music is incredible. And then back to live gigs again. I've been in a few since it's like reopening. There's nothing like it, man.
0: There's something about like people go out when you go to a gig and the people who work in it and everything like that. The people behind the scenes, no one, no one ever sees them. Like you know, and they, they work, they work bloody hard putting it on. They work, they you know, the, the crews are going at sometimes seven o'clock in the morning. And they're still there at 12 o'clock at night. And they will get on a bus, sleep on a bus, and get up again at 7 o'clock the next morning and do it again. Some do it because they enjoy it. Some say it's their career. But they've always done it. You know, they entertain loads and loads of people. And it's a big part of it. And I think you should have paid more attention to them. You know, I know I've been lost without the laptop and that, with with music and stuff like that, Mm. listening to new music. It's one of those things I think they should have paid more attention to. Don't ask Bill
1: about it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) How you got through that without me using a swear button is beyond me. Uh,
0: But it's it's it's, 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 brilliant. It's, 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 it's my life's been been all my life, it's been all Pat's life, yeah. yeah. I've loved it, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. You know?
1: How does Pat feel having you home more often now though? Less on less out on the road. Is that a positive Pat? Yeah. yeah.
0: It's fine. We've got a big enough
1: house. <laughs> it's a big enough house. We can lose each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But she did you know, but she's had to put up with it all her life, you know. We've been married 40 40 forty one years, Pat. Yeah. Right. I've been with Paul forty three. Nineteen seventy-eight, I think it started. Yeah,
1: probably there are so many stories of life on the road that you can't tell, or that aren't, you know, aren't right yeah. to tell, or whatever and stuff. But it feels like there's like a, you know, an autobiography in you. There's a, there's a, there's a book in this, surely, of these stuff
0: that you can to tell us about, isn't it? Well, once all, I've already told you, I can't spell to save my life. <laughs> so there's no, I'd, I'd, I'd have to I'd need a ghostwriter or someone like that, and that's the only way I could see. But people have said to me about doing it, you know, but I don't know. You know, they say you should put it down. You know, just for my boys. Yeah, you know. of course. There's one I like. You've um, interviewed Steve, haven't you? Steve, Steve Brooks.
1: Steve Brooks, yeah, yeah. Did he tell you about his book? No, no. Well, I know about it. Well, the Keeping the Flame one.
0: Yeah, it's so funny that book. That's fly on the wall. You know? Yeah, Two yeah. To your mates, if I could look, do it that way. Yeah.
1: You know? So you're having a chat with somebody, and then it gets turned into a book. A bit like this, right? But,
0: but <laughs> it, it, some, yeah, I suppose something like that. But I always say. People, you know, a lot, a lot of that, people only want to know the bad things. Yeah, you the know, salacious know, you'd, 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 stuff. Thereafter, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And really, I'm not into, not There's not anything to talk about in that way. We've all been angels. <laughs> 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 Pardon?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy Lewis said back in the day, I think he was part of the crew around like 22 Dreams and around that time as well. And you have some pretty heavy nights, right? Uh, in what way the drink yeah oh, he was, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah.
0: He's said about like his liver having to ca- to keep up with people well you know he's a lightweight he is <laughs> <you know? laughs> I, I, I would I would have said there was one time and and like it's, it's all changed now because like you know I mean I, I think last time Paul drank um, just after my 60s and I'm 71 now so it's 11 years ago but I, I've said this is the only job you could have got the sack from for not drinking it's compulsory <laughs> down the bar. you know That'll be it. Where are you? We're down in the bar. Get down in here now. <laughs> what would be your drink of choice? What would be the one you know? I drink wine there, but I was a, I used to drink beer. Right. Yeah, you know? but um, I drink more wine than anything else. but yeah. but used to be a beer drinker. Yeah,
1: it was something to were saying about like the weird cocktails you guys would create. I don't know if it was you or like members
0: of the band. At oh, club. John, John, what John, was that? White Russians. What is a White Russian? I think it's vodka, kalour and cream. Oh Jesus,
1: that yeah. sounds heavy. That sounds heavy for a start, right? But, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, but I mean, like you know, people used to like them, but um, you know, it's a, it was all sorts. You know, cocktails. I like cocktails. You know, you get in the states and you get good cocktails and that. You know, so
1: I imagine there were quite a few days where you are know, back on the tour bus the following morning, and quite a few hangovers. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, but you know, you, it was it was a bit like that. You know, the first week was always the heaviest, and it might slow down a little bit, and then
1: come but, back at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, but again. they, they constitutions of the ox of an ox, both of them, John Ample. You know, they can handle their drink, both of them.
1: John Weller, just, you know, very special man for you guys, obviously, clearly, Yeah, right?
0: yeah. No, I was thinking about him the other day, like, you know, just just talking about John. I mean, when we got married, he drove Pat to the church. Silly things like that, you know, did, we were going to get a car for Pat, and he said, oh, no, no, I'll drive him. I've got this car, you know, I've got this, you know, white car. They live down in Woking, I live in Arfordshire, and they come to the wedding, and, uh, he went round to Pat's place, picked her and her brother up and drove her to the chapel. Uh, you know, he was great that way, you know. I've I've known him to – when we done the the gigs in Paris and they come over we on the buses, one bus driver drove off and left two girls over there, two young girls. Now, we got hold of them. I think he got in touch with their families, told them it was all right. They put them in a hotel overnight and made arrangements for them to get home. But the guy had gone off with their passports and everything on this bus. Oh, yeah. You know, so that way then, you know, and uh, – they cared about the fans Hmm. and it went right the way through. That's why I used to get told off. (laughs) John was a, he wasn't a big man but he filled a room, I'll tell you that. You know, he was my mate. Yeah. He was was great. We had some great times.
1: Yeah, who was it who mentioned, I can't remember, somebody mentioned about the briefcase for the cash.
0: (laughs) It was always a briefcase. He loved cash then, yeah. So he you know, and he always paid people in cash. That's what they needed, you know. He liked his, his money, you know? Yeah, know. And, and
1: amazing that he, the success they had from coming from no knowledge of the music industry, no background in that place at all. It was all learning on the job and dealing and, and just... That's, that's what yeah. I tried to
0: say to you earlier on about Bernard Rose and Malcolm McLaren yeah. and, and all these people, you know, one managed the clash, one was, And all this, what they'd done and everything like that. And because they're the ones, but John's there with Paul right away. And I know it's his son, but the partnership they had and what they achieved together, I think it was brilliant. Mm. You know, with the jam, there for was, there was four of them, you know. And then with, with Paul and the rest of his career, right the way on, up until, you know, up until John passed away, you know, he was a, a big part, you know, he's a big family man, John, as well. Like I said, I always try to have a relationship with my boys like he had with his. I mean, me and Bill argue like, you know, but when I talked to Craddock, him and his dad argue, you know, so and they worked close together, pretty much the same thing, you know. And I know, I know, my mate Brian. He he said seeing the relationship between John and Paul, he actually wrote a letter to his dad to tell him how he felt about him.
1: That's so lovely to hear. That's yeah, and that, that wow. you
0: know, and he did, he did. He did before his dad passed away. He wrote that letter to him, and he, they got even closer. But it's it's from watching them, you know, and to see that, and in this business, you know. I think it's good. They're great people. There. He's always been great to me, Paul. So's John. Nothing. Respect for either of them. You know?
1: Yeah. And um, yeah, I know he's your mate. And um, but that back catalogue, that that forty odd years of music is just like you say. It's it's unbelievable, it's incredible, isn't it?
0: Yeah. The thing about he's still writing brilliant music. Now he will carry on writing great stuff. I think I'll see him. Just he gets as much pleasure out of it now as he did when he was younger.
1: He could sit back and, like you say, tour the greatest hits and people would go and see that they'd love to see that and stuff, but that's not in his nature, is it?
0: No, no. And I think anybody who comes and expects that really don't know much about Paul. He's always done it, you know? He's always pushed forward. And I think he's wrote some great
1: numbers. Well, here's my next question, right? So there are two final questions for this podcast every episode. You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the jam, the style council, or solo is the question. But as it's you... And as you've invited me into your home here, you're allowed one from each era. So you can have the jam, one from the jam, one from the Style Council, one from Solo. What are you going to have?
0: Oh, shit, that's old.
1: It's not any easier, really, is it? No, <laughs> no it's
0: not. Uh, that's entertainment. Because that's what it is. You know, I remember the first time I heard it. You he give me a little cassette in, in a cab going down to Ephra. And that's when I heard it. And that was just Paul. And the others weren't on that, then. There must
1: be something very special about getting, like hearing those things before they're out in the public as well, like you know, hearing, the, hearing um, yeah. that working progress as well.
0: Sometimes it's frustrating as well because you hear, you're hear start off in one way, and by the time it's finished, it's slightly different <laughs> or a lot of difference. And you know, I like well, I like
1: the yeah. early one. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes you like yeah. just like the demos. You know, it's it's great. You know, that way. You know, I got a, I've got a CD over there at the moment. Um, this one he done the, with Sugsy and.
1: I'm sorry. What? There's a demo in the in the corner with you, him and Susie. <laughs> <laughs> I know he has announced. He's mentioned the fact they worked on a song and they've done a song. Yeah, yeah he has said about that. That's yeah. out in the public, but, but, yeah, we but none of us have heard it, right? Yeah.
0: Well, um, I've got it over there. <laughs> but it's it's like you know it's things like that. You know, and you sit down, and you play them, and, you know, you put them back, and then you know. I like I like getting the CD and putting it on in the car. Or a car driver still got a CD player in it, and I will listen to the stuff. And i will, from the time I leave the office, you know, it takes me about an hour and a half, I will play over and over again, certain tracks. Style Council number. No, but it's, it's really hard. There's so many. I know the one, it's pretty much the first one. Speak like a child. But that's got special memories for me in what actually happened when we done the video and everything like that. And it was the first one, you know, and it was so different from was the that, jam that, that was
1: the bus in the Malvern Hills, was yeah, it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> the <was, laughs> freezing cold day. It was, it was we were was down there a few days and it was It, it was bloody cold. <laughs> But we'd done this thing, it was a Tim Pope thing. I was driving Tim up and down, finding different locations and stuff like that. And we had this double decker, open double decker bus. And we come down one part, and there's some trees here. Those who get the trees, they're supposed to, they had a guy at the, at the front of the bus to shout out, duck, went out to duck. They just plowed through the trees, and everyone in. Where's that fucking dance fucking shout a duck? And when they looked, he was on the floor holding his head. <laughs> he, he, the tree had hit him, knocked him out, you know. <laughs> but the whole of that time, and it was so different from the jam, you know. But I wouldn't say that was necessarily my fa it's it's the one thing that stands out in my mind from that. And I suppose it might be because it was the start of a new thing.
1: And solo. Solo. Mm.
0: I, I don't know. I can't I can't really do it. I can't. Yeah, you know, I can't really
1: Real out a few that you love listening to. Give give me a few that are kind of really stand out oh, for you. Broken
0: Stone. Yeah. yeah. I just really love the track. See, I'm not I'm not a train spar. I have to look at the track to remember the yeah, name yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. like Modernism, you know. And, yeah. But he has got so much stuff, you know, that I really like listening to. The album got scrapped. There's there's stuff off that I really liked. Hold on. What album? Remember the one the, the jam the Snow Style Council one.
1: Oh Modernism, yeah, yeah. 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 There's,
0: there's tracks on there. Yeah. That I really liked, yeah. You
1: know, presumably, as part of tour manager, you were there organizing those final gigs, the Royal Albert Hall one that everybody talks about now, uh, whether ripping up programs or whatever the nonsense.
0: I, I had a friend of mine come down, he said, Well, he said, I come down to see Paul. And He said, and He was more or less at the back, you know. And I said to Paul about things like, you know, and said when he'd done the dance music stuff. And he said, But that's what was inside me at the time. And I, I, I don't understand his principle of writing, I don't know how he does it. And he's just said to me, That's what's inside me at the time, yeah. You know? I suppose when people get blocks, you know, and they can't write for a time. I don't don't really understand it. I've been involved with it for a long time, but, you know, and all of a sudden this wealth of new songs come out and it seems to go on and on and on and then you'll be quiet for a little while and not too long. There's all sorts of things that stick out in your mind. I never ever thought that, this is a bit of a sideways thing, but I'd, I'd never ever thought I'd see Paul on stage with Robert Plant. It was for um, the guy from Traffic, Jim Bobaldi's missus. Yeah. I think she organised this thing at uh, Paulchester Hall, and they had the backing band. They had some old rock and rollers there. Paul got up and done about five numbers with them, and it just stands out in my head. Guy from White I want to say the, the drummer was the guy from Colosseum, but I, I never thought in my world of stream because I like Led Zeppelin. I have friends who work from you know, like my mate Nudge when he worked for Queen, and I I done some work for Queen. I built Roger's drum riser and all I got told is it's got to be fucking big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was back years ago. Um, they'd been to Australia and all the equipment got smashed up. So Nudge come back and said, couldn't you help us get it? They want to rebuild it. So that's what we've done. They've done all sorts of bits and pieces for themselves. You know, they had a hard time. They was ripped off and everything. You know,
1: so Well, ge- you mentioned about guest artists. So they're guest artists where... You've not been, I mean, maybe been starstruck, but I wonder where you can kind of go, this is like, like people like Paul McCartney, I'm thinking of stuff, where Paul, when Paul Weller's played with them, you go, God, bloody hell, this is, yeah, this is yeah, special. Yeah.
0: The first time we ever met him, we was in the same studios, at Air Studios, when we met McCartney. And it, it just seemed funny, seeing Paul McCartney walk around the <laughs> studio and Linda and stuff like that, you know, and he's a big Beatle fan. You know, I got, I got my people I like. But I try not to get to that, that way. I think it's like, you know, especially in studios and places like that, I think people got to be left alone, Yeah, There's only a few people who have asked for autographs. And one is McCartney and uh, Eric Clapton. Me and him got sacked next together on a flight back from New York. And I got him to sign the menu for Pat. I think it's up on the wall. So here we are in Mersey. Yeah.
1: You've moved out here miles away from Black Barn um, yeah. but you still go into Black Barn quite a bit yeah. and see the crew, yeah. right? That's still kind of...
0: No, yeah. I still go down and I'm still employed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, I, I love going down there, you know, yeah. it's all like it's... We've been down there the years, you know, it's, I like I like the whole thing down there, you know. People talk to about it as being like a really special studio.
1: How does it compare to Solid Bond? Because obviously Solid Bond was, you know, leased but it was like the Weller HQ. This is Weller HQ.
0: It, it, was, a, it was a base for a long time. It's good. It was good. It was up right in the centre of London. It was like deal and everything like that you know slightly different studio and they they updated the desk in there you know they all went the update was a a massive desk in there and this one's a little bit more down to earth and technology's changed i don't really understand it all myself everybody seems comfortable in this one you know people come down and they seem to like being there you know i'll go down there i have a couple of nights i might stay in in the house next door and everything you know have a curry at the ripley garden yeah yeah i've had a few curries down there you know it's uh you know the ins and outs don't you?
1: <laughs> well they get credited on the album that's the great thing i know, and, like the, I mean, ne- the nest get credited on the album yeah is, they, it's they do
0: yeah, it's do brilliant it. yeah yeah it down at the nest yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to see paul walk about you know and he's, he's always done the same thing you know you get on the tube in london and walk around the streets i mean take the live aid thing hmm. you, you, you see the video for live aid they all turn up in their limos and everything like this and it's just Paul walk down the street walking do what he's got to do
1: this has been so lovely i have to say so many people have said to me how much they're looking forward to hearing it and like i say you've never spoken really to anybody about all of this and one final question so the purpose of this podcast is to meet amazing people like yourself who've been involved in the journey of this paul weller story if you like for the past 40 odd years but it's also for me to get to meet paul weller that i never managed to interview him during my radio career if it happens what should i ask him
0: why did he leave the jam <laughs>
1: <laughs> Does it still
0: hurt? <laughs> no, 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 because that question. No, that. <laughs> why did you leave the gym? It's a standing joke. You know, but, uh, <laughs> or, or when are you going to get them back together? Yeah, <laughs> I think you'll get the same answer as always. Said there, yeah, you know? no, there's. It,
1: <sighs> what do you think he'd appreciate talking about?
0: Well, his, his enjoyment is his music. I mean, except for his family. I mean, he loves his family, but music and clothes. The family side is a separate thing. You know, he loves his kids. He, you know, he's got, some, he's got some great kids. But um, actual stunning questions that you can ask Paul that he's never been asked before, I don't know. I think the maddest question I ever heard him ask, because I used to sit in all the interviews, and they'd do interview after interview, and it, it used to make me laugh, because people said Paul never used to do interviews and stuff like that, you know, we got in to Japan and do one after the other, one after the other, and same in America. I just remember being in there one time, and I'd fall asleep. I think there's a picture, of, <laughs> there's a Penny Smith photo of me in japan they're doing the interviews and i'm i've got my feet up on the side i'm a kip <laughs> and really what did he moment. do what did he do he framed it and sent it to pat <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stitched up. you're your old wait. man hard at work yeah but you know and i i think i could sit there and answer these questions that paul used to have to ask you know the same question time and time again but we've <laughs> we done this one in japan and At the time we was over there, the kids were getting their exam results. And it's a sad thing, really, but two kids had jumped in front of trains and a couple of kids over there got so wound up about it and they have gone home and they have murdered their their parents. And they said, do you ever feel like murdering your dad? (laughs) And I couldn't believe they fucking asked this question, you know. So I think that's the maddest question I've ever heard. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to what to ask him. Yeah, you know? That's mad, honestly. you have to have that's a conversation and come have it. And see
1: what happens. So as a
0: Chelsea fan, should I bring up the Chelsea? Because is, is, he, is he into the football properly? He used to go with his dad. His dad used to take him to right. Chelsea. I mean, you yeah, know, he takes money off us in bets. <laughs> you know, we'll have a bet on it. Bill and myself are strong Tottenham supporters. Sorry about that. Yeah. Dom's. Who'd you (laughs) support? Chelsea. Uh, Dom's an Arsenal supporter. So. Me and Dom have a standing thing going on, a bottle of champagne on every game.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Music and fashion, those are the things. And
0: yeah. I do, Music mu- music, and fashion, yeah, and I think that's what he's into more than anything, you know. It's what he enjoys doing. I mean, he still gets a buzz now. He comes, we, we was talking the other day, I was talking about different things we've been listening to and everything like that, you know. I found this track on, I, I always forget their name, it's an American band. They come from Pennsylvania. Oh, Christ, yeah, come to me in a minute. It's getting old. The revivalist. First track I heard of them was I Wish I Knew You When I Was Young. But I heard this track and I thought, this is a new track. But like it, you know, I found it was about 2016. The guys have got a great voice.
1: And this is something you recommended to Paul?
0: Yeah. Paul got this band called the Teskey Brothers. He said, "Listen to this. I think they're brilliant."
1: The Teskey Brothers. Okay. Teskey
0: Brothers. An Australian band. Right. You would have heard adverts on TV with these guys singing on there. This guy's voice is is amazing.
1: I always yeah. love a Weller recommendation. When you like read Mojo magazine yeah. and he's recommending something, you know it's going to be quality. Well, I've but got everybody, everybody's I've, ever recommended me. Yeah. I'm into you know they're brilliant.
0: Well, I've got their CDs. But this this band I've been listening to, and there's another guy called uh, Fish. He's a he's a blues guitar player. You know, and I, I don't. I see he's got things like pork sausages. <laughs> and there's another blues woman I found, Joan Joan Sangre. She looks like an old washerwoman, but you are a play the guitar and stuff. It's all on the internet, you know, and you're just sitting there flicking through and listening to this stuff.
1: I never. I mean, I don't understand how he's got time. To, I've got two young kids myself he's obviously got three young kids and and the olders and and where's he getting this bloody time to do all this stuff it's really annoying he does he's he's, he's (laughs) up 24-7 obviously I love the two-way thing it's like you know like you're both loving the music and uh, postman oh He's run off down the road. The postman's terrified. Um, right, we have to go because otherwise I'm going to steal yeah. all of your time. This has been so lovely. Kenny, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate those. Thank you.
0: I hope you ain't rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed
1: My Thanks once again to Kenny Wheeler. What an absolute joy to spend time in his company for this podcast. A real honour, I have to say. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please do share on your social media channels and in all of the Facebook group forums for The Jam, The Star Council and Paul Weller Solo. And please do leave a review as well. You can also buy me a coffee and find more information about my guests on the podcast website. It's PaulwellerfanPodcast.com. Get in touch on social media too. You can find me on Twitter at WellerfanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time.